Hey, how's everybody doing? Welcome to episode 502 of the Juice Box Podcast. I'm your host. Welcome back, everyone. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Kim. Kim is a therapist, and she and I spend a lot of time today talking about relationships and communication. It was fun. I liked it. Good talk. Good talk. I should have called this one Good Talk with Kim, but I called it Relationships and Communication. Actually, I'm going to call it Communication and Relationships. Let's see what feels better. Relationships and communication. Communication and relationships. Good talk with Kim. No. Communication and relationships. That's what I'm going to do. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your health care plan or becoming bold with insulin. Kimberly Groves is a licensed psychologist working out of Cherry Hill, New Jersey. New Jersey? New Jersey? What now? What, what, what? All right, after the music, I'll try that again. That was a train wreck. Kimberly Groves is a licensed psychologist. She works at the Center for Emotional Health Family Care Center in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And she has type 1 diabetes. She also runs a Living Well with Type 1 Diabetes support group for family members and individuals. If you'd like to learn more about that, you can call 856-220-9672 for details and registration. It's in, in, I think it's in person, but maybe it's online right now. You know how the world is. Anyway, Kim is great. She's going to be back again. I really enjoyed talking with her. And uh, if you want to hear more about her support group, which is free of charge and open to the community, well, then call that number. Use the buttons, 856-220-9672. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. The podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. It is little, it is easy to carry, It has a bright light. It's super duper accurate. It's the best meter I've ever used. Honest to whatever it is you swear to. I'm holding up my hand right now as if I was in an 80s TV show and my hand was on a Bible and I was in a courtroom. I promise you, this meter is the bomb, bomb diggity. Check it out. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Hello. I guess the first question I should ask you is, can you hear me? I sure can. Can you hear me? I can. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Improvement. I feel like my mom getting the Netflix on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is a little embarrassing. I even brought backups just in case so I didn't have to make the trek up and down a bunch of steps if uh, this failed. So funny. I am um, good to go. It's 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 interesting because um I read your email. Like after you had time to think about it and you sent it back and I thought, oh my God, I made this person feel terrible. <laughs> I was like, or the, 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 uh, the situation at least, or what, you know, what went on, I felt so terrible. I wish at the time I would have understood better what was happening. I would have just been like, let's just stop. But, um, it's very cool that you want to try again. Yeah, no, not you at all. It was, uh, technology and my, uh, lack of knowledge. 
on no, it. So it's fine. I didn't realize I, I you were struggling. So I mean, listening back, I do, and like I, I trashed the episode. I, I threw away the file, um, and I just figured we'll just talk now, and this will be terrific, and uh, etc. But I just didn't at the moment. Um, there's a lot going on in my head while I'm recording one of these. Like I wish I could say that I'm just talking, but there's a lot more happening. So, you know. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I was able to just kind of like get through it by just making some vague statements <laughs> just to feel like this fit might fit. Um, but then towards the end, there was just too many of them. And I was confused as to what questions I was asking. So, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, the only other time this happens, and I know this isn't your situation, but um, sometimes I get those emails from crazy people. Mm. <laughs> so, um, and, and I could be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean that, in, that. <laughs> in the very colloquial sense of the term, but um, they, oh, they they begin to overthink it and they start, right. I could have said this, I could have said that. I'm like, you don't understand what this all is. Like, it, uh, you know, we could have this conversation a thousand times. You'd say a thousand different things. They don't, they right. don't get that. So, um, so we'll just start, you know, start fresh. You'll introduce yourself any way you want to be known and uh, right. we'll dig into you a little bit. And then I think. I, I really am, I've become very interested in the idea that um, people don't, aren't aware of why they're doing things. And uh, okay. I would, I would love to like, just talk about diabetes a little bit and then, you know, kind of pick through that if that's something you're comfortable with. Sure. Cool. That's it. Go ahead. Introduce yourself. Okay. Um, my name is Kim Groves. I am a licensed clinical psychologist in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and a type 1 diabetic. Cool. Um, Kim, at the end of this, if people are just like, I loved Kim, and I want to see her, do you have to live <laughs> in New Jersey for that to happen? Uh, telehealth has offered some, uh, you know, loosening of regulations, but it's getting complicated again with this SIPAC thing. So, yes, I'll just for a, a short answer, yes. Yes. <laughs> Even Philadelphia, it's right there on the other side of the river. That should Yeah. <laughs> During the pandemic, we were able to see, I saw people across state lines often because um, they, you know, because of the state of emergency, if it was also state of emergency in a different state, we were allowed to see people, which was great because oftentimes if we see someone who's in college and they go to college in a different state, we have to kind of pause treatment. So it really allowed for, you know, those cases to continue to be seen. So it's it's been kind of nice with that, but I think they're tightening back up. Were those people grandfathered then? No, it was just all due to the state of emergency where wow. they were historically insurance and and our licensing boards wouldn't allow it because there were, you know, different state regulations. We have to take a jurisprudence exam in New Jersey to know the laws mm -hmm. to which we would have to follow in a state of like a crisis situation that I don't know in every state. So typically it wouldn't be ethical for me to see someone to where if they became suicidal, I don't know what to do in Virginia, so to speak. But when the world was in the state of emergency at the beginning, we figure there's bigger fish to fry. So, and by you wouldn't know what to do. You mean you wouldn't know the people to contact or right the protocol, the yeah, protocols that they follow. Not that people's problems are different state to state. No, well, I guess they are, but not the core, yeah, right? Of, not yeah. the core of <laughs> yeah. their issues, right? But maybe the yeah, like I, I don't think I've ever had stress over working in a coal mine, for instance. I don't see how that right. could happen to me. I'd have to live near a coal mine for that to happen, but. 
Right. The stress would be the, okay, I, I'm good. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to understand. Because it's one of those things that when people say it out loud, it sounds stupid. Y- you know, like, but understanding the back, the kind of the back room reasoning for it, then, then it makes sense. You know, like, why would it matter if you lived in Pennsylvania and experiencing anxiety and really liked Kim uh, and, and she was helping you? The one thing I did find strange in that answer was that if you pick somebody up during the pandemic, you're helping them. Then all of a sudden, you have to cut them free. Is it is it professionally on you to find them someone else to speak to? How does that work? Yeah, we um, we make sure to find referrals within the area that they're in, and you know, try to you know, we can coordinate with a new clinician to kind of catch them up to speed if the client would like, or we can have no contact if they want to start fresh. But yeah, I mean, this has all been brand new and and atypical, but. Some states, you know, some therapists in my practice have gotten emails saying you have a week to terminate with this case because we've decided you're no longer allowed to work across this particular state line. And then they have a week to scramble and find somebody new. And, you know, the mental health pandemic is, is a real thing. And we, and my practice alone has about a six month wait list. So it's little complicated in one week's time to find a new person, depending on the state. So because other people are going to be in that same situation. Right. What was the wait list like prior to COVID? We always had one, but it was, I, I would say, closer to three months. Wow. You almost need to know you yeah. need help before you need help. What, right. ha- what happens to somebody who's in an emergency situation that gets referred to a hospital? It does, unless it's, you know, we do consider acuity when we have an intake. We, we'll kind of, we've transitioned to doing an intake first to just see what the need is for a person and then determine, is it safe to wait? Is it worth the wait for this particular treatment for you? Or should you go elsewhere? You might be able to be seen sooner or do you need to go to a hospital? So you can, it it is a little on, you could, you can recognize a real imminent issue that might be someone's safety and say, okay, no, 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 there's no way you come right in like that kind of an idea. Yeah. Are you seeing people in person yet? No, we've just started to talk about that, but it's it, the regulations are still really strict to where we'd be able to only see about half the number of patients a day than typical. And we'd have to do things that in a you know, therapeutic relationship is a little odd, like temperature tech, uh, checks and texting. It just kind of changes the whole dynamic of it all. So, so I've been a little hesitant to take that step, but theoretically we're allowed, but I think it'll be another couple of months before we're really back in the office. So when somebody comes walking through the door, it should feel like they're just walking into the den of their own home and it's comfortable and you're there and it's high and have a seat and how are you? And then it should feel, it shouldn't be, please sit behind this plexiglass while I take your temperature and then let's talk through a face mask because that could already be their issue, right? Exactly. And in my practice, actually, a lot of the clinicians specialize in treating OCD. And so that's been a whole separate issue of, you know, people who previously had, you know, significant anxiety surrounding contamination Mm -hmm. now come into this quote unquote safe place with plexiglass and temperature checks and don't touch me just kind of sets the stage for an anxiety provoking situation, which is the exact opposite. Well, in some respects than what we want. I'm going to ask you a question that there's no way either of us could have known we were going to talk about. So okay. I was remembering the other day that when I was in elementary school-ish, middle school, elementary, sixth, 
fifth, sixth, seventh grade in that space there. I remember for the first time hearing that if I stepped on the crack in the sidewalk, it would break my mother's back. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Th this idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day walking to school along this long path, I recognized that I was unconsciously avoiding stepping on the, the splits in the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. I didn't think much of it. And then I came home and it happened again. And then I went to school the next day and it happened again. And about the third or fourth time it happened, even as a young kid, I physically stopped myself. I stopped walking. I stopped myself mentally. And I said, this is ridiculous. Stop <laughs> it. And then forced myself to step on the cracks, checked on my mom after work. Boom. Turned out she back was okay. And I moved forward. Did I stop myself from slipping into an OCD ritual? Absolutely. That's there's exposure response prevention treatment right <laughs> right there. Seriously? Because that's essentially yeah. I mean, because you know, for someone who becomes conscious of that and then connects that what we call magical thinking to this is why my mom's back hasn't broken in the past three days. Because I didn't do this, I need to keep this up. And then it turns into all of these other rituals that can really spiral out of control. And then you lose the evidence of stepping on a crack and your mom's back not breaking. And the further away you get from that, the harder it is to believe in it. So you exhausted that immediately, which was smart. I was a, 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 I was a chubby little kid, so I didn't have anything else to do except for think. So I was able to spend my time. <laughs> I wasn't busy with sports or friends or anything like that. So uh, I had plenty of time to think things through. But no, but seriously, I it's still, um, I don't have a ton of childhood memories. But I could paint you a picture of that moment. Like, I remember thinking, hey, this is a weird slippery slope you're on here, buddy. Like, let's get off right now. And it doesn't make any sense. So let's just stop it. It really was, um, it was interesting. Uh, and if anything like that ever pops up, uh, what are some other things? Like, you know, when you're driving on the highway and you hit the lake, there's, um, there's you don't realize it even on blacktop highways, but they're done in sections. So every once in a while you hear it click, 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 click while you're driving like that. And I, if I would find myself even like tapping my finger in between the clicks, I immediately put a stop to it. And I don't even feel like that was an odd thing. I just, it seemed to me reminiscent of the first thing. And I was like, I never want to do, but I don't have that happen to me frequently. It's just that if it should pop up during my life, I squelch it really quickly. Um, Good. I don't know. I'm just, uh, yeah. that just, you said OCD and I thought, I wonder how many people that happens to where you just kind of fall into it. Is it, um... Is OCD like stuff like that an indication of something else or is it unto itself? It depends. I mean, everything's kind of on a continuum. So there are some cases where it seems very much just biologically based and, and you really can't make any connection as to who, what, where, why. But if you're prone to anxiety by nature and, you know, even something like the stepping on the cracks happens, you know, there it's an unknown and unknowns are anxiety provoking. And that could be why you remember it, even though it didn't go too far, mm -hmm. is there's an emotion that starts to connect to an experience. And if you're already predisposed to being anxious, that's where it can, you know, again, kind of snowball into something that it eventually presents as OCD. It's interesting. It really is. I'm sorry. That was way off of why you're here to talk. Yeah. You just, <laughs> that's all right. I right, appreciate you answering. Um, yeah. Okay. So I have become, um, super interested in helping people understand the things that they don't even understand about themselves um, from, from a couple of different perspectives wrapped around diabetes. Uh, before we get into those things, though, you have type 1? Yes. Ah, when were you diagnosed? 
15 years ago, 2006. 2006. And you're 30 now, so you were 15. Yeah, yes. Let's pretend. Yeah, let's pretend. No. <laughs> How old were you? I'll be thirty-eight. I'll be thirty-eight next week. Okay, so eight years plus fifteen makes you twenty-three. When you were diagnosed, I was was twenty-two. I think I was close. Jeez, Kim, just go with it. I mean, okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Even Uh, better if it was a year later. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if I just got? If one day my math worked out. (laughs) <laughs> people, yeah. <laughs> people just started going, yeah, that's amazing, Scott. Congratulations. You've added two small numbers together. Um, anyway. No, so- you know, I, I actually will say that birthday math is very complicated. When we do IQ tests, we have to calculate someone's age to the date as we're administering the test. And I've always found it the most stressful part of administering that exam because when you throw in the January factor, it gets complicated. <laughs> so I have to be honest. You're not alone. I just talked to whatever... Um, voice assistant is around and say uh, how many days has it been since blah 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 and then convert the days into years or something like that yeah i I cheat a lot um and that goes all the way back to high school one day when i was like i'll have a calculator when i'm adult why do i need to understand Mm -hmm. this and meanwhile i really did need to understand that math and i feel stupid for not paying closer attention to it but again (laughs) not the point um how was your diagnosis was it i mean you were in college or out of college by then uh, I was in graduate school, so I was living um, in Missouri at the time. I'm from New Jersey, so I was living um, in the middle of the country. Um, and I was my father was a type one diabetic, and he so I was familiar with diabetes. Um, and I was I was actually ironically in a health psychology class at the time, learning about um, teasing out different medical issues from psychological issues, such as, you know, depression can often look like high blood sugars, um, hypothyroidism, things like that. So we learned the basics to just know if someone should be seeking medical care versus us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember there was a slide about type one diabetes and the hallmark symptoms that just never came up with my dad. I, I always knew he was type one, but never talked about his diagnosis. Um, so I actually didn't even know the hallmark symptoms, which were, of course, the weight loss, frequent thirst, urination. And, and I remember looking down and, and I had about four bottles of water, coffee, a Red Bull. Um, <laughs> I was sitting on a sweatshirt because my tailbone was digging into the seat. And um, I would take full naps on our five-minute breaks between classes, like during class and uh, frequent urination. I was, I was like, huh, maybe I'm type one also. Um, I guess I just didn't consider it because my age, I thought I dodged the bullet. And then I went out and I called my dad after that class. And I said, Hey, this is what I just learned. What do you think? And he said, uh, to go buy a meter and to start testing. Um, and then, and then he did, which he thought it would lower blood sugar, recommend that I start drinking beer to lower my blood sugar. Cause it had worked for him. So, because so he got low fine advice it, from my father. Cause your dad would get low when he was drinking. Yeah, I mean, it, it eventually lowers your blood sugar. So he was thinking, all right, I, I can't give you my insulin pen right now. So just go drink a beer and get a meter and call the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, yeah. my gosh. How old is your father now? So he actually, um, he passed away last oh. month. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Actually, huge unsolicited shout out to Dexcom's follow app, though. Um, he was, I followed his sugars. Um, he begrudgingly allowed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day he was the no data popped up 
And that had actually happened a week before. And I called him and he was trying to shield his irritation because I, you know, he's someone that had diabetes for 41 years. You don't want to be bothered about it. But I was worried he lives alone. He was 73. And I was like, why is there no data? And he's like, um, I just ripped it off. It was annoying me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Fine. So, so he would do that. So I wasn't immediately alarmed, but then there was a couple hours, no data. It was the middle of the day. So I finally called him. He didn't answer. Uh, I have two brothers. They both called. He didn't answer as well. And text, he wasn't getting back to us. So my brother went over to his house and found him on the ground. He had had a stroke. Um, and he was still alive though. He was still breathing. And so we got him to the hospital in time to where we were able to be there to say goodbye. And I, I thank the follow-up for that because had I had no indication that anything was wrong, I probably wouldn't have checked until the next day. So you yeah, wouldn't have gotten to say goodbye to him. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know for people listening, Kim and I recorded once already and we had really bad technical issues. So I know some things about her. So when I asked about your dad, I expected fully that he'd, uh, yeah. be alive and with us when you answer the question i apologize for for bringing that up for you but wow no that's, that's really okay crazy um and you make me um reconsider um I, I i joke with kelly sometimes she'll like wake up and she'll be like is arden all right um like sometimes it just hits her like that when she wakes up you know and mm-hmm. um and i i go in the room and and you know i'm like she's fine i said she's a little low like we fixed it she goes you sure she's all right i was like i don't think she'd have a blood sugar if she was dead i like i'll joke like that sometimes trying to light heart i i realize it's probably not everybody's level of humor but um but <laughs> no I, it's true but, but it always makes me wonder like if a person wearing a cgm were to pass away would the cgm how long would it be able to still read interstitial fluid but your dad just was like he got irritated and took it off so he yeah, not there. that time though. The second time it was because he was so actually he wasn't he wasn't fully dead. He was uh, essentially brain dead. But no, this is he when they when the paramedics got there. So there was no data, and then I got there, and then when they um, cleared out his pathway and intubated him, his blood sugars turned back on. Wow. Her CGM started working again. Yeah. So the so when the circulation moved to a crawl in his body, then the interstitial fluid wasn't moving and it couldn't read anything. And then when he, yeah. wow, that's insane. And I'm so sorry that this is about your father and so recent because you just used the phrase fully dead. And I would like to joke with you about it, but I know it's in, <laughs> it's just that we shouldn't. Um, but let us remember him as a man who would have uh, met a newly diagnosed person and told them, why don't you just get a beer till you can find an endo? Because that's rock solid right. information. And I, I, love, I love that story. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, you know, we'll put like a a blurb in somewhere where we tell people that's not good advice. <laughs> but, right. uh, but um, I saw, I, you could see his thinking in it though. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I, you yeah. know, assume he, and next time he'd say, you know, I would prefer if he would have said, why don't you go for a walk or <laughs> get some right. exercise. There's um, other ways, other oh ways to make it happen. So, so Kim, I, I, you know, going back to what I said before, and I guess kind of starting with, people with type one diabetes. Like I kind of want to talk about parents and people a little bit, but starting with people with mm-hmm. diabetes, my, my biggest like interest is the illusion that people who don't manage in a way that ends with good, healthy outcomes somehow don't care about themselves. And it can't be true that people don't care about themselves. Right. Or can it, what is it really happening to someone And why does it look like they're just not concerned? 
Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Givoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to givokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit givokeglucagon.com slash risk. Wow. Here we are again. And by here we are again, I mean me and you and us and them. Everybody, we're here. What do we all need? Uh, We need a meter that works. We need a meter that works well, that works easily, and that works in every situation that we find ourselves in. Everyone who is using insulin needs a blood glucose meter that does those things. And I think you should check out the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Now, why is that? Well, yes, they've paid me to tell you, but that's not why. We've been using the, the Contour Next One blood glucose meter for uh, a long time around here, and it is, uh, save none, the best blood glucose meter I've ever used while Arden has had type 1. And she has had type 1 now for just about 15 years. This one is accurate. It is easy to hold, easy to transport, and easy to use in dark situations. I think that's really what you need. But on top of all that, the Contour Next One blood glucose meter has amazing accuracy and it features second chance test strips and that means that you can touch some blood not get enough and go back and get more without ruining the strip or the accuracy of the test and i I don't want you to misunderstand this meter doesn't need a lot of blood i'm just saying you know those times where you come in sideways and you get a little or you you can't get your finger to like and you're squeezing and squeezing a tiny bit comes out and you know you say to yourself like this will be enough and you know you know it won't be enough but you just can't get any blood to come out. So you're like, I'm just going for it. And you touch it and it's not enough. And you got to get more. I'm saying that situation. You're still going to get accuracy and reliability, a clear and easy to read screen. And if you want Bluetooth connectivity to your iPhone or Android to save your data. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. Like you can use the meter independent or you can use it in conjunction with the app. You should go check it out at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Absolutely terrific device actually possible that it might cost you in cash less for the test trips than you're paying through your insurance company for the one you have now. So it's really worth looking into for a number of different reasons. And the website's super instant, super instancy, super easy to navigate and easy to use. So it won't take you any time at all to look through contournext.com forward slash juicebox. There's links in the show notes of your podcast player or links at juiceboxpodcast.com if you can't remember that contour link that I just gave you. All right, let's get to Kim. She can answer my question and we'll get back into the flow. This conversation, I I love it. It it really picks up here in in a little bit. Catch our stride. You know what I mean? Like a vibe, a row. We're like moving, like woo, groovy. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Really uh, takes off. I mean, I think 
you know, that's, that's such an individualized situation. I mean, I think even someone who would say they don't care about themselves likely does in just maybe a very distorted, unhealthy way, Mm -hmm. because, you know, underneath it all, everyone has, has an ego. So it's there somewhere. It just might be masked in, you know, some maladaptive patterns. So I, I think poor management, you know, again, I think is what comes up on your podcast a lot about just timing, you know, decades ago, what was said to people, you know, a lot of the, the barriers to management have changed now. So I think the reasoning would be very different from someone who was diagnosed, you know, 30 years ago versus today, um, because it's much easier to manage than it was historically. But I also just think there's so many different stages you go through. So there's I know no, I'm not answering the question, but I feel like it just, it would, I'd uh, have a million questions for that particular person. Yeah. And I want to keep talking through it. Like, I don't expect you to be like, oh, here's a simple sentence. This is why. <laughs> here's why, Scott, because blue. You know mm-hmm. what I mean, buddy? No, no, no. I, um, I imagine that, like, going back decades, that there just weren't any more answers, right? Like, that would, you know, going back 30 years ago and saying, someone eventually ended up in renal failure or had a heart attack because of, you know, crazy all over the place, blood sugars, or they, you know, uh, twice a year were being picked up by paramedics because they passed out while they were sleeping and that, but having seizures like that, I get as just a lack of like science just hadn't moved far enough. It would be like, if I went and found a caveman and said, can you believe these guys can't get to the moon? Like, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) they just didn't have enough tools. And so I would imagine at some point you just settle into a, Hey, I got a disease. This is as manageable as it is. It's probably going to shorten my lifespan somehow. I'm going to try to be happy. But nowadays, is it just like, could it be frustration? Could it be that you don't like what happens to a person once they're frustrated enough times and don't have an answer? Like is giving up, is that a, is giving up a coping mechanism? Like if you just can't fight the fight one more time because there doesn't seem to be a win at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a 24 seven disease and you know, that comes with burnout. And if someone doesn't have strong coping skills or, you know, issues with their self-esteem or they're battling something they're unconscious, you know, that can certainly result in not taking care of your health. If, if I said to you that I want to retask a word and I, I give you the idea of two boxers in front of you and they're hitting each other over and over again, and one of them just can't hit it anymore, and they take one last big blow, and they fall over. And I wanted to say to you, instead of saying that that person lost, they burned out in that situation, right? They just couldn't fight anymore. It is right. Because I'm, I'm always, I always rub up against the word burnout a little bit. Like, like it feels like it doesn't do the situation justice to me. Does that make sense? Meaning it minimizes it? Um, I, I guess so. I guess meaning that there's so much more to it than just, I just couldn't do this. Any, I didn't want, I think people read it as I didn't want to do it anymore. And I don't think it's a want. I think it's, right. I think it's just, you got hit one too many times and you can't get back up again. Um, and I know right. that's a, that's a slim difference, but not being able to persevere and not wanting to persevere are two different things. Yeah, absolutely. I think you could even look at that on a bad day, you know, a roller coaster day where you, by the end of that day, you just don't want to deal with your blood sugar anymore. And you might just sit a little high or, 
you know, not a little low, but sit a little high, <laughs> maybe yeah. more than you would typically because you just don't want to do it at the end of that day. But that agree doesn't equal someone who doesn't care about it or want to take care of it in general it just can be exhausting. And then you don't, if you don't have the tools, then that's even because I do see people like you said, maybe not so much low, but I do see people who spend a day at 55 and they're feeding their basil all day long. And it for some yeah. and it never occurs to them to just dial the basil back. Right? They get they get yeah. caught in this idea that, hey, this basil rate's worked for me for weeks and months. It can't possibly yeah. be that. But on that day, maybe that's not your problem. Like maybe the maybe the reason you're low didn't begin with your basil being too high. But at this point now, whatever that thing is, your basil is holding you at fifty five. And instead of continuing to feed it, it would be so simple to back it off, feed it once and start over again. But instead, you'll see people get trapped for 12, 18 hours. Like, I've been at the, I'm exhausted. I can't eat anymore. Like, you know, it really does happen. And and not being able to turn immediately to the insulin and say, like, how can I adjust this insulin so that this stops happening is a step that yeah. a, lot of, is a, a step a lot of people miss. And then they get caught in that thing. And then I guess sort of like the stepping on the cracks, you can you can lean into it. And then a bad day can turn into a bad week, can turn into a bad month, can turn into like, oh, my A1C has been bad this year. And, you know, like, when do you stop yourself from stepping on the crack? Like, when you just go, screw it, I'm going to stand on the crack for a while. Like, I'm, I'm going to force myself back to doing this thing. Um, and and I guess also, once you start drifting in one of those directions, either very high blood sugars, very low blood sugars, and you, you alluded to it earlier, it starts impacting you, your your mental acuity. And then maybe you get put mm -hmm. in a position where you can't get out of it, right? Because you're physically mm -hmm. unable. So if that happens to people, how do they reset? Because that's the key, right? Is to stop and start over? Or am I wrong? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I think too, there's, that's where I think some of the, the knowledge that you've offered to the community is what's lacking for a lot of other people. And I think that's where people get fixed on those, well, my basal right rate is where it's supposed to be based on what my interest said two months ago when I see him next month I'll bring up that it seems to be off and I think there's a large chunk of people that are kind of stuck in that mindset that might change a little but wouldn't just let that day be well today this isn't working so I need to lower my basal rate for the day and not overthink it or feel like they need to consult their endo on it um, so I think even there just the knowledge base still is is a problem what is that human what, thing right there? where you've run into a problem, you can, I need a simpler explanation. Why would someone eat a bowl full of potato chips today? Think to themselves consciously, this is not healthy for me. I'm not going to do this again. And then have a bowl of potato chips tomorrow. Like take the food aspect out of it. Like what's the piece in there that makes the fight to fight your demon worse than the outcome you're going to have by continuing on the path. Is there, is there a human component to that, that you like know a name for that I just wonder about? I mean, it's reminding me a little bit about someone, you know, most people are either have kind of an internal sense of control and demand over their life or an external. And so I view someone who would feel like I have diabetes you know, and it's just like, it kind of owns them 
and I need to consult an endo or everything's just kind of outside of themselves mm-hmm. can get really stuck in those patterns of behavior versus someone who has an internal locus of control and demand saying, okay, I've been diagnosed with this. How am I going to handle it? I'm not going to eat potato chips because my, you know, I don't want to wait. That's a long pre-bolus or I don't, it's not worth it to me because of the way that affects my body. So I'm going to have fake potato chips or, you know, <clears throat> something and just kind of take more control over it. So I think that connects a little bit to esteem, but I think it's also the way people are raised. And I, I find that that whether you feel in control of your life or you let your life control you affects a lot. So there are people who feel like they can do anything. And there are people that feel like there's an institution or a thing that's running their situation. Yes. Okay. Is that, does that normally fall along religious lines or could that could be political, I guess as well, or even inside of a, a family, you know, my dad makes the decisions, my mom goes along with it, vice versa, that kind of thing. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's, I think it really is just something a little more innate that is skewed by early childhood experiences typically. But, you know, I think, cause even if you look at religion, you could view that as how do I want to interpret this versus, you know, I am to just follow the pack. But, but two people could go through the same experience and come out of it two different ways too. Absolutely. Yeah. Be- because, I see my upbringing as difficult for a kid, but Mm -hmm. it made me like, I'll say like jokingly, but I mean this, I don't mean the part about the zombies, but if the zombies come, Kim, you come find me because we're making it to the Mm -hmm. end. And I don't know why that is, but that's how my hardships made me feel. Like I kept feeling like this can't possibly be where I end up. Like I have to keep fighting. You know what I mean? Like there's a way out of this. Um, And I used to base it on intellect. Like I would look around my surroundings and think like a person who's having my thoughts, like shouldn't be here. I don't think like I need to find the Mm -hmm. place where I belong and this isn't it. So I'll keep fighting to get out of this. And then I would just look for anything, any pathway. Like I see life as an ever growing um, endless path of forks in the road. And you just come to one, make the best decision, come to the next one, make the best decision, just keep moving. But I know people who grew up in similar situations to me, not in my, not in my house, but in similar situations and they crumbled, but they're not weak people. And, um, it's fascinating, isn't it? So, you yeah, have, I yeah, mean, yeah. It, I cut you off. I think that's a good, ex- that's okay. I think that's a good example though, of where you can see a little bit of the nature and the nurture. So maybe by nature, you have that just kind of innate, you know, constitution of an internal sense of control and demand where I can figure this out. And then it sounds like your upbringing offered you an unfortunate scenario where you had to figure it out and you had to kind of take some control and and those different things. So that probably just really sent it home to have that you know, confidence that zombie apocalypse, you'll figure it out because you have to. But then does it always bounce back and forth? Because now I'm, I, I recognize that my, my um, upbringing wasn't very um, supportive. So I'm more supportive of my kids, but my kids would see the zombies and be like, I mean, I guess we'll fight for a while, but then I got to find something else to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they don't have that same, they didn't see the stuff I saw. So they don't, 
they don't know how hard they you have to fight in those situations, I guess. Um, I, I would just wonder, like, are my kids going to raise tougher kids and their kids are going to raise softer kids and their kids are going to raise tougher? Is it, does it just bounce back and forth like that? It's interesting. It can, but only, you know, in extreme situations. I mean, there is often someone who grows up in a, a very dysfunctional household then goes way too far in the other direction and coddles their children or shields them from any letdowns in life. And then they're going to be these anxious sheltered kids that then wouldn't have that, you know, mental strength, so to speak, that you develop by learning that life is not all rainbows and butterflies. And then those kids could then in turn go back and say, good luck to their children and let them, you know, gain some street smarts and learn the hard way. And then there could be that back and forth, but usually it takes a really dysfunctional start to kind of start that cycle. I guess too, those things are easier to learn when you're a kid, like sort of like snowboarding when you don't really think about compound fractures, you just jump up on the thing and go. Right. Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then you can be presented with tough situations, fight through them without the consequence being a real idea in your head. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So, when people grow up, however they grow up, and then they run into a diabetes diagnosis, you find some people who are just like, I'm not going to let this stop me. I don't care what happens. And you find some people who feel like that they've run up against a thing or an institution, or in this case, a disease that is bigger than them. And it's going to run the situation for them. And they feel powerless in it. Is that right? Yeah. And that could look kind of like a depressive, hopeless feel or a more neurotic, anxious response to it. Like, I'm going to over-research this. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to, you know, that can be another way of responding to it versus what I think I told you before. I appreciate your perspective of here, like more insulin, more carbs, you know, like that simplistic, this is today, today I need more insulin instead of either over-researching or feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, I feel... You know, of all the people whose situations I get to see from close up and afar kind of mixed, it's interesting because they're not right in front of me, but yet they'll share private stuff with me. Um, the people that I end up feeling the worst for are the ones who are just like, tell me how much, tell me exactly when to do it. I need to know the number. I know there's a, there's an answer in here. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's bad because those answers aren't going to be the same in three hours. So, you need more of a vibe way of handling this and, and, and less of a, you know, how, how it's written down. I mean, it works for some stuff, like, don't get me wrong. Um, but y- those people I feel badly for because they seem the least flexible. And that, yeah. that flexibility is so super important with all of this. Um, yeah. Okay. So kind of switching gears a little bit to like the parenting side. Mm-hmm. Are the things that we talked about so far, I imagine that the answers lie somewhere in that to this question as well. How come some parents come off like they don't care and some of them come off like it's the most important thing in the world to them? Because I don't also believe that parents don't care. I feel like they get stuck in situations, happens to men a lot too, where they don't want to mess up. So they go with, I'm just not going to get involved. So I don't make it worse vibe. Do you see that a lot with parenting in general? Um, what would you consider not caring in terms of 
having a diabetic child? What have you seen that look like? They don't want to understand how to count carbs or where to put the oh. insulin in. They, you know, a blood sugar goes to three fifty for six hours, and they say something like, "It'll be all right," you know. But they don't want to. But if someone comes along, uh, a spouse, for instance, and says, "Hey, I think if we just would have done this, this, and this, this could have gone better," and they're like, "Ah, doctor said it's fine." That comes off as not caring to the other spouse. Yeah, you know. Especially when one of yeah, them is trying really hard and the other one appears to not be doing anything. Right. Which is where I think then that can be, I think regardless, that, that it tends to be more about either the individual parent or the marriage. You know, if there's sometimes in a marriage, if one party is the, you know, more neurotic one, the other person tends to maybe go further than even their natural baseline would be in terms of more relaxed to kind of create some balance and maybe that theoretically in their mind would be for the child's interest of let's just let them be a kid um, to offset like, so, you know, maybe the mom who's measuring everything, you know, I think it can pull for extreme behaviors on either end um, and might not actually be a not caring parent. Oh, so they could um, go farther in the, uh, Oh, like do you ever meet a person who feels like they're vibrating? Do you know what I mean by that? Like they're so like nervous or anxious or whatever. Yes. Like you could almost feel like when you're in the room with them that they're vibrating. And I know that's yes. a weird, but they're, so you're saying that if I'm in a situation with a person like that, I might go to the opposite, like I might go to the extreme end of, of mellow to try to make a balance in the room. Yes. Oh, and that happens a lot. Yeah. Especially within a family system. I mean, there's what we call family homeostasis where there needs to be balance. And so, you know, everyone just kind of has their personality set up and then based on what the family dynamics are you kind of go into these different roles to create a sense of balance for the the greater system. And so if there is a super neurotic vibrating wife, then the husband who might not be super laid back might feel the need to be even more laid back in that family system to get to that homeostasis. Does the family. Oh, this is so interesting. So is there, so does everybody not necessarily get to be who they are, but they get to be, their part in it so there's an alpha which probably gets to go first and <laughs> then right and then the spouse acts the part that makes balance between the two of them and then i would imagine one of the kids probably slips into a role which could make other children sl- is my dog acting differently because of how <laughs> i am is what i need to know like would my dog be a different dog if he lived in a different house oh my god he would wouldn't he Kim, go ahead and I say I haven't it. read the research, but I would say, I would venture to guess yes. <laughs> oh, my God. None of us are being ourselves because of who we're <laughs> coupled with? Well, you're, you're the self within your family system. And does that work for situations as well? Like, are some people different because of diabetes than they would be without diabetes? <clears throat> sure. Got to be, right? I, and I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it makes you not yourself. It's it's yourself in a situation or in a relationship. And I don't think you have to be compromising who you are. I think that's why it's important that, especially in a marriage, each party has their own individual thing, you know, outlet to where maybe if there is something that they're, you know, leaving a little bit to the side for that greater good, which is healthy to have that outlet for that part of yourself. But it's, you know, that's what relationships are. Wow. This is great. I wish I would have had decent parents to explain the world to me. This would have been, I, I don't like, enjoy, I don't enjoy learning this stuff when I'm 50. I mean, I've seen it. You know what I mean? Like I've witnessed it and it makes sense. I've never had anybody say, yes, that that is right. 
Um, I just, I'm always guessing. Um, yeah. So, okay. All right. Let's find a, let's find the scenario here. So if you're in a relationship, you're married and your husband's the domineering one and you're the laid back one in a, in a male female Mm -hmm. relationship. And then the kid gets diabetes. The vibe that the husband takes ends up being the direction and then you have to play off that direction. And so if the husband takes a laid back, a 300 blood sugars fine vibe, not only do you have to find a way to manage it, but you have to find a way to manage it without pissing off the alpha in that situation, or you have to get to the alpha and change their mind about it. And that doesn't sound easy at all. Right. And it would depend on, I guess, the reasoning if the alpha didn't want to take on the blood sugar due to, uh, you know, for whatever reason, and the other person was willing to take it, then that could just offset it. But yeah, there there needs to be a, an unconscious negotiation that occurs. Yeah, nobody's, and then you, you're not really supposed to say this stuff out loud. It's like a dance. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. 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 You don't look at somebody and go, hey, you're kind of an ass on this so what i'm gonna do is like because that doesn't work well you have to like so interesting so talking's not always the key sometimes i I mean go ahead but sometimes those 50s ladies knew what they were doing right like i'll just yeah yeah. you know in certain respects absolutely i'll put beaver in the backyard i'll make a (laughs) i'll make a high ball for him when he comes home get him a little chilled out and then we'll uh start telling him how much the plumbing bill is like that kind of stuff (laughs) Um, what about like when somebody throws it on you, like what happens when you're not the alpha, but you're also not ready for this thing. And, and some, one of your spouse is just like, well, you'll take care of it. You're home with them. And then you're, you're sitting there thinking like, I can't do this either. Like, what the hell? Like I got diabetes for not having a full-time job. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, how did it get thrown on me? And then you feel overwhelmed and there's no one to go to. This is a disaster. Kim, is it true? <laughs> is it true that divorce goes up when you have a chronically ill child? It, it, I mean, it could. It's because of that type of scenario. So if that person felt like it was being dumped on them and they're not communicating, I mean, really, regardless of what the marital issue is, it tends to often just go back to communication. So if that spouse that felt dumped on didn't have the either willingness or ability to effectively communicate to the other that they felt that way and that they were overwhelmed and they couldn't find a common ground with that, then it is going to lead to a divide in the marriage that will just grow in something like diabetes, you know, can certainly make that, you know, distance uh, more toxic than some other issues. But so we're having this conversation about like these kind of high minded ideas, but we're not really even far enough along in our evolution to deal with this stuff. Because this isn't really what ends up happening, right? What ends up happening is um, there's a rift uh, that will likely make the female feel less close to the male. That usually ends in less intimacy. When you take the intimacy away from the husband, then it hits their ego, and then we're just spiraling towards divorce. That's basically what happens to people, right? Yeah, unless they go to therapy. Yeah, unless they go to therapy. But how many, <laughs> how many hundreds of years are we away from people being able to understand that as it's happening, like in the moment? Because right now, if people are listening to this, they're like, oh, a lot of this sounds familiar in my life, but I don't really, they don't consciously see the 
you know, what the thing's happening. They just see like, we see real top level stuff. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we used to have sex a lot. Now we don't as much. She doesn't like me. I'm going right. to start talking to Kim at work. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, it just, right. it, it, it just gets very base at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, because it gets to be a touchy subject. And I think especially like something with diabetes or a chronic illness, it's a very heavy subject. And then it becomes about the kids too. And it's, it, it's something that's very easy to avoid. And then days pass, months pass, years pass. And then it, it can just get harder and harder to get back on the same page. So, so are people's lives basically having lost getting together, getting into a slow, unconscious decline, and <laughs> and then l- either luckily or unluckily bumping into something that brings it to the boil? I mean, I think I know people have some awareness. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's when you start to feel that way. I mean, that's what makes marriage hard, right? Is that it's that dynamic happens it changes when you have kids it changes when there's life stressors it changes with you know finances and then you also individually change after a decade and more and you know and that's where it is work to to maintain a sense of self and you know wanting to be a part of that system and so it doesn't have to be a divide but it just it often does, especially these days when life is so busy and it's complicated. And again, it's very attractive to avoid conversations that, you know, could be difficult when it's just easier to just do the thing and solve the problem and move on. And, you know, if people they'll start to have some awareness of, you know, I don't want this person to be around me, or I'm not even going to tell them about this decision because it's too heavy, then that should be a little bit of a red flag of something's wrong. And it's, it's, you know, Early intervention is very important in terms of marital conflict. You know, the part I find sad is that as I get older and I understand things better, that there's no way to go back and do it again. Like That's right. the part that's just maddening. You're like, oh, wow, I see when I was 25 what I should have done there, and it's too late. Or I see when I was 35 and I did this thing and it impacted my children. Like I can't just go back and explain it to them now. Like now they're right. just going to have to live through it, come into their own situation and hopefully do better with it than I did. It's that slow progress of mankind. Um, maybe we're not supposed to live this long. Like maybe it's not healthy to be able to like see what you did wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause if I would have dropped dead when I was 40, I would have had none of these thoughts and I would have just been like, I did right. my best. I'm out of here. Woo. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I now, now 10 years later, you start like getting kind of like thoughtful about it. And you're like, Oh, I see. And by the way, you can't, I I can speak for me and not all men, but you can't be thoughtful till the testosterone like dies down a little bit because until then you're just constantly just like, Oh my God, boobs. Like it just feels like that all (laughs) the time. I know that's base, but it really is how it feels. Like you're just constantly thinking about pretty things or attractive things or whatever your vibe is. And then finally, when that kind of like dies down, you're like, Oh, I have more time to pay attention to other stuff. Now. Um, you're not like on that mad tear to like be connected to somebody physically, which is I'm assuming most of men's problems, right? Well, I mean, it's the more primitive part of our brain that maybe is, is to your point of maybe we weren't meant to live this long. And then you can access the prefrontal cortex. Once that the hormones are settling down in that, region and and then since you are alive you get to experience the wisdom of old age if i could get a hundred more years i'd be a genius like that's all i know for certain <laughs> like if i kept going at this i'd finally be like thoughtful and 
Like I, I think I'd be, I don't know. It's just the saddest part of being alive. Is it just as you figure stuff out, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. anymore. No one's listening to you. <laughs> They're just like that yeah. old man's babbling about something. It doesn't make any, and meanwhile, you're finally making sense and you can't get the thoughts out. Um, <laughs> it really is interesting. So what, okay, Kim. So we've picked through the things that I'm, I find myself interested with, and I appreciate you doing that with me. Is, mm-hmm. is literally therapy the only way through this? Because therapy really is a speeding up of being alive, right? It's having more conversations where you learn and build and learn and build instead of waiting for those scenarios to pop up in your life and them actually being comfortable. Because you said something a second ago, like sometimes people don't say things. So sometimes you get to a learning moment and you avoid it on purpose. But in therapy, you can't, right? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it certainly... There's there's other avenues than therapy, but really then it is kind of just life experiences. Whereas I, I think people, I, I might have mentioned this before, but I'll say it again, is I, I think being a therapist during this pandemic for me has been very interesting because I people who never would have gone to therapy are now going. And I think people view therapy as I'll go if there's a real problem or someone, you know, if someone says maybe you should talk to someone, no, it's not that bad. And you know, you wait till it's that bad and it's really not that all that effective or deep. It's just, okay, let's figure out how to stop the bleeding and then people will just go away. Yeah. Yeah. Versus, you know, like I've never, I've never really understood why I do this or I keep finding myself in these patterns of behaviors or relationships that are unfulfilling. And I don't know what that's about, you know, and that doesn't seem like a, so you should go to therapy thing, but that is the best reason to go to therapy. And that's where you can kind of get to that, you know, emotional space of, of being that is a little, typically beyond your years, if all goes well. Can I ask a personal question? Sure. What's it like to have someone come in professionally and have a problem that you have that you don't resolve, but you know how they can resolve it? Has to happen, right? I mean, it would it would depend on what it is. Um, I, there were, I will say with this, with the pandemic stressors there was a couple overlaps where it was like all of a sudden people are home all the time they're you know homeschooling their kids which for me was throwing a worksheet over the uh, balcony um and you know those types of stressors were very I, I it was almost like same like i could say everything this person just said to someone else and so i wouldn't see that person mm-hmm. because you can't help someone when you're in the same space i i i believe my coping skills were a little bit better than what that person was presenting with, but still it, the next week she would have said something and in back of my head to be like, yep, yeah. <laughs> throw a worksheet over the balcony. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? exactly Don't what's happening to, teacher, to me. Know? Yeah. I'm not going to charge you this week. So, um, <laughs> well, well, I would imagine it's almost like it, it could be at times like being a sports coach who can't play, right? Like you could mm-hmm. run into that situation. Like I know how to tell you how to run this route and catch this ball, but I can't do it. Um, it's just, it's very, the whole thing, like when this all happened, there were like people in our town. I was like, they're totally going to get divorced before this is over. And it, and it happened. Like you could see it, you you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, and, and there's one person I'm thinking of who said to me, there's no way like this has to end or I'm not going to be living here anymore. And I'll be damn. He was right. (laughs) Like it was, I don't know if it was a self-fulfilling prophecy or if he just saw like part of how I've kept this thing together is by not being here all the time. And it was fascinating. Really was uh, brought a lot of things to uh, to a boil. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it's really, it's sad. It really is. But is it, Kim, shouldn't we be allowed, shouldn't we, not allowed, shouldn't we be able to live together in a constant situation like this? With, I mean, you know, some breaks here and there, but like, should a pandemic really cause that many people's relationships to fall apart? Right. I mean, again, it's how you choose to respond to a stressor. You can let it own you or you can own it. So then big picture, is it better to hold things inside or sometimes argue and yell and then let it go? For people who aren't going to talk it through. I mean, it depends on how you define argue, but better, you know, even, you know, parents are often so worried about their children ever seeing them fight. And as long as the fight is not, you know, intense, it's actually better for children to see conflict and then conflict resolution if it's reasonable. So yeah, better to air it out than to sit on something like that, that will eventually pass, but was never addressed. And then you end up, you know, overly mad about laundry or things like that. Thank you. And you, you don't know why I'm thanking you, but that's how I do it. <laughs> so I feel validated. <laughs> so I said thank you. Uh, but I just, I grew up in a place where nobody said anything. And it seemed to me, and then what happened was problems looked like leaving. Do you know what I mean? So the one thing I took yeah. from that when I got older was if we have a problem, we should say it. Because maybe mm-hmm. then somebody, maybe then it'll work out or or even just be expelled like sometimes it's just something you get rid of maybe there is no real um resolution maybe there doesn't need to be a resolution maybe it'll never come up again but you got to get that part out like you can't walk around angry all the time i realize life is just a bunch of t-shirt cliches um and they're probably the they're probably the best advice sometimes but yeah don't go to bed angry is a is a good one um yeah you know. and usually when you you bring something up you you know, you look behind, I mean, every behavior has an antecedent and an underlying value and intention. And usually when you air something out, if there are two people who care about each other, you can usually get to a space where you see that the intention is, is good, even if the behavior is not. Or the opposite, then that's a bigger problem. (laughs) Ready? I'm going to ask a weird question. Do you think people ever talk to their, their, their partners and relay a story about someone else that they really hope that the partner will take something out of for them. Like, of course. Yeah. Right. Like you're like, let me tell you about Jim and this one over here a second. You start telling a story when you're like, really like, I hope that they hear that Jim was sad and I'm sad (laughs) or, or, or that, or that, you know, uh, uh, that his wife was, uh, unhappy. And I think you're unhappy too, or like that kind of thing. Like I, but they won't, but, but that same person would never look at their 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 partner and say, like, I think this is happening to you or I feel this way. Do we not say that because we're afraid that the answer won't be, I love you and it's okay and we'll fix it? Do people not say what they want to say because they're afraid they're going to hear, you know what, I don't care about this, leave me alone, go away? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that would be a scary topic to bring up. And so I think it's easy for either people to hide it in a story like that or not say it at all. So rejection. You don't want to be rejected yeah. in that situation. I wonder if we could magically make everyone just say how they felt. If there would still be the same rate of divorce, but it would be the different people. Do you know what I mean? Like say there's, let's put a hundred people in your mind and 50 on the left and 50 on the right. And if we all keep our, our thoughts inside the 50 on the left end up getting divorced. 
I wonder if we all let our thoughts out, if the 50 on the left would stay married and the 50 on the right would get divorced. Like I want, do you, does that make any sense what I'm saying? Um, it'd, it'd be an interesting study. I think, I think that's probably two extremes because if you say everything, then that can be a very taxing relationship. Okay. So let's finish with that. There is stuff you don't say, right? Yes. Is it mostly you remind me of your mother? <laughs> is that, is that the, listen, I'm just going to give a little marriage advice right here. Your wife never reminds you of her mother. There. I fixed your life for you. You don't do that. That one's a bad one. Um, but but there there are some things that are people's feelings, right? And you And you have to take a hit so that they don't have to. Like, you have to have a little selflessness. Like, I feel bad about this thing. But by saying it out loud, I'm going to make you feel worse or you're going to feel bad and I'm going to feel better. I choose to feel badly instead of you. Does there have to be some of that like love? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like if you see, you know, your spouse doing something that you know isn't is out of anxiety or is out of wanting to fit in and you know that it's, you know, I don't know, a little foolish or you just have a feeling that, you know, it's not best. But saying that would just hurt them and make them feel worse. You support that behavior. You know, you, if, if it's not hurting anybody and it makes them feel good, instead of calling them out in that scenario, you, you support it, even if you feel like it's absurd. That's the married version of when your weird friend in ninth grade wears a fedora one summer. You just let it go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're just like, hey, Bill wants to wear a fedora. Why do I got to say anything about it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let it ride. Okay. Mm-hmm. What have we done here today, Kim, in your mind? Have we... Have we put your license in jeopardy or <laughs> no? Well, we actually spoke. I believe I heard you the whole time, which is nice. Yeah, I will we'll explain a second that the first time we talked, there was it, it's it's interesting, actually, now that we think about it, um, now that I think about it, we were having trouble communicating for technical reasons. And you were mm-hmm. pretending that it was going better than it was. And I noticed something was wrong, but didn't bring it up. <laughs> Yeah, we were kind of married there for an hour. We were, uh, and I need to practice what I preach then, because uh oh, that just occurred to me as we were saying it. I was like, oh, everything we just talked about, we didn't do for that hour. So, all right, so let me ask you: Can you hear me? I heard you say you lost your earbud. No, yeah, I got that. Let me ask you one other question then. Mm -hmm. This is popular right now, right? The idea of people um, who you know, have a standing in a community or in a, in a profession, getting together with someone else and talking about it so other people can hear it. Is it actually okay. helpful? Or does it just, is this just filling time for people in a different way? Like, can I actually, like, I know that I can do a podcast about how to bolus for something and people can hear it and go back into their lives and make a meaningful change. It, is this something that could actually help somebody? Do you think this would actually take somebody and say, you know what, let me go talk to a therapist before I get into a bigger problem? Or, wow, I do do that. And like, can someone hear this and make a change? Is the is the stuff that's going on in your head more difficult than the stuff that's happening in the real world to fix? Was I clear? I'm well, are there two questions in there? Yeah, I guess there are. The first question is, is stuff like this actually helpful for people or was this just entertainment? I mean, I I would I would hope so. That wasn't really my intention. I guess I haven't really 
ever listened to a professional in my field anyway, doing a podcast. So I don't know what the angle would be. Mm -hmm. Um, in general, I would say, you know, there's some basic things that people can offer in this format that can be helpful, but likely not too much greater than a self-help book or something like that. And I think the process of therapy is something that is, is very complex and personal and really needs to happen just between a therapist and a client. So if you heard something in this hour that resonates with you, the next step is to go find one-on-one treatment, not like try to figure this all out on your own. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very biased, but I feel like every person at some point in their life should give themselves that gift. And this is a bigger thing to you. This isn't like when an electrician tells you you can't put in an outlet on your own, but you really can, but they're just trying to make work for themselves. <laughs> no, go look at a really uncomfortable mirror for <laughs> several months to get to know yourself in a way that is is at first uncomfortable, but ends up being, you know, it, it can be very life-changing. Right. Okay. Thank you. Did we not talk yeah. about anything that we should have, in your opinion? No. Did you have fun this time? I, I did. It was a much better experience. Good. I'm glad being I, able I, to hear you. Again, I feel very badly that we did it the way we did last time and that I wasn't completely aware. Um, I started saying to you before we hit record that I'm I'm doing more than just having a conversation. Like I'm running the the I'm making sure this gets recorded. I'm making sure that it's gonna sound good later. I'm trying to think of what the people listening want to hear and mixing that with my own like kind of in the moment thoughts. And so I might have been a little discon this sounds like I'm apologizing to my wife for not being present. <laughs> I had a lot on my well, mind, then- Kim. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, so then I will own my 50% that I, I should have been more clear that I was really unable to have a genuine conversation with you because I was so frustrated with the technology and I was just guessing what you were saying. And I should have, I should have realized that that was going to equal a it's, negative outcome. So interestingly, you got frustrated about something that wasn't under your control and mm-hmm. then tried to m- make the best of it instead of stopping and and kind of resetting you were like i can probably do this i wonder how often that happens to people in their day i bet you it just happens constantly (laughs) if we all said what we were thinking do you think we'd all just kill each other (laughs) because you (laughs) you, because you you know what people are thinking because they come tell you right they paint a scenario they say this is what happened here's what i was thinking during it so Mm -hmm. with that so if we all just blurted out what we were thinking would it be bad or would it be good? It depends. I mean, again, maybe the first thought could be bad, but usually if you dig deeper, it can be good. Do most people just want to be happy? Is that at the core of what they're, what they want? I would say more understood. I think happy is, is a hard word to define. And I think if people feel, connected and understood that happiness gives a a level of security. Yeah. I have to say that when I feel frustrated, I, my go-to is no one listens to me and I'm assuming that's how I felt as a kid. Sure. Right. And I, Mm -hmm. to be honest with you, it was, and I've described on the podcast before that I was adopted by really amazing people who maybe were not exactly my equals. Um, and, no matter what I said, they kind of stared through me a lot of times. 
And so I always felt like no one was listening to me. When I guess if I was older, I would have understood that maybe they didn't understand what I was saying. And instead of just feeling like they were ignoring me, I think maybe they were just like, huh, we adopted this little kid that seems smart. We'll just whistle and look over here. Like, I think maybe it was more the vibe, but it followed me right into my adulthood. Like that idea. I do not like it when people don't listen and to each other, even like it doesn't have, I don't even have to be involved. It makes me upset when people don't listen to each other. Right. So if, if, so if you look at that in terms of relationships, if you didn't have that insight and you were just reactive to that, you know, and you were yelling at your wife because she didn't pick something up, you asked her to on the way home. And then she's saying my, you know, he's a jerk or whatever. And then you're saying she's X, Y, or Z. So yes, if you say what you think right there, you look like a jerk. And then if you were to dig deeper into how come that made you so upset and then get back to the point of, as a child, I never felt heard. And when I, something like that happens, I end up not feeling heard. That's where eventually when you, you speak to what the issue is, then likely your wife would have empathy and you would you know be able to reel that in with that insight. And then it's helpful. So you could get matched up with a person. This is interesting. Do you have a couple more minutes? I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you could end up, and by matched up, I mean, you know, you find somebody attractive when you're younger and you're like, that one, you know what I mean? Like that feeling. Yep. And then mm-hmm. by luck, that other person has had a, a childhood experience that plays well with your childhood experience. Or sometimes you meet somebody whose childhood experience helps your childhood experience and vice versa. Like sometimes you're just, you know, when people say like, oh, I'm the part of the relationship they don't have and they're the part of the relationship I don't have. And that can sometimes work for people. It's probably not a completely fulfilling existence, but it works. Or but or you could get put into a situation where you both grew up very similarly, need the same thing, and therefore neither of you can ever be there for each other, no matter how much you want to be. Am I right about those things? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of go either way. That's why it's maybe I get another T-shirt saying, but people tend to really marry their their mothers and their fathers because it's it's what you're drawn towards because it's what you're used to and you know how to make that dynamic work. Hmm. So you can't avoid that. I mean, you can, but sometimes you don't necessarily. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Well, I don't see it as a yeah. I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. I'm just wondering, like. But you can't consciously, you don't know it's happening. Like, even if you wake up when you're 40 and you're like, oh, my God, she is a lot like my mom. Like, it hits you out of nowhere. It's not like you were going to realize it when you were 19 and trying to talk her into kissing you. Like, it wasn't going to come through then. You know what I mean? I know that's an old idea that that boys just try to be something that girls want. But I'm I'm old. So I realize that's not how it's supposed to go. Uh, It's just how I grew up. So we'll have to deal with it as I'm talking. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like now everybody respects each other. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, and um, it's nice actually. Like I see, to be honest, like I see how my daughter is not boy crazy and I'm like, that's nice. Like she's not running around trying to make a, um, a personality for herself. that's based on how other people feel about her. And yet yeah. when, when I grew up, it, it was just like you were just dying for a, a, a girl to like you. And um, my son doesn't have that vibe either. Like he also is not looking for another person to complete him. And uh, it's nice because it makes it feel like you have more time to really meet people and find somebody who fits well with you, who you actually like, instead of the first person who looks up at you and goes, this one's acceptable. You, you know, like it's, um, 
I wonder, do you see growth like that through generations? Like, do you expect this story to continue to get better as we get older? Like when you're a 70 year old, like seeing therapy patients, will their problems be more refined than ours are? Because I'm assuming ours are more refined than our parents were. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they'll just be different versions. But I think in that respect, it's it's good now. And when as you were talking, I started thinking about online dating and how, you know, then there's pros and cons to that. So I think it, the pro is in part there isn't this pressure of the first person that clicks. You better make it work because it's hard to meet people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this idea that you know it's it's easy enough for it to happen, and in theory, that's true. But then I do think then there's this idea of there's this buffet of people. And if I see one flaw, I'm going to kick him to the curb because, you know, there's, there's always hundreds one. of other people. Yeah. It's funny. I started thinking of it as basketball. Like, you know what basketball looked like in the 50s mm-hmm. and, what, and what it looks like today, like professional basketball. Like, I just thought, like, the game's the same, but the players get more athletic. And then that sort of changes the game a little bit. Like, I wonder, yeah. like, more in tuned people will change the dating game. And the relationship yeah. game, and it'll just continue to morph, not necessarily better. I'm sure there are people who look back and just miss Larry Bird standing there shooting <laughs> three pointers uncontested, but uh, now there are like five supermen running around a court throwing a ball around. You know what I mean? Like it's um, yeah. Neither neither. It's just different. It's not bad or good. Oh, I'm so interested. I wish I could stay alive forever to see how this goes. But let's be honest, that <laughs> pota- that potato chip. Um, allegory from earlier that was me so i won't be here much longer <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh nobody's perfect right you've never met a person and you're just like wow this worked out exactly right for them or are there people no 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 so even the people who look like they have it all together are just a mess in a way you can't see I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say a mess. I know you wouldn't because you're a professional, <laughs> but, but I'm not. And so I get to say whatever I want. Have you heard the episodes with Erica yet where I try to get her to generalize about people's mental health and she won't do it? I heard the first one about, <laughs> I forget what it was about, but I heard the first one where she was on. Yeah. She stops me just like you do. You guys are very professional. I say something stupid yeah. and you're like, that's <laughs> not right, Scott. Don't say that. <laughs> But I'm just trying to move the conversation. You understand, Kim. I'm trying to keep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I gr- are near each other. We have more of a, a, um, a geographical vibe, which yes. is also interesting. Why I like talking to Erica because she and I are like incredibly different. She's very, uh, she's very California. It's nice. Um, oh, okay. Anyway, all right. Do you hate me after this is over? This is really all I need to know. Or have I done okay? No, no, no. This was this was a pleasure. I'm I'm glad that you took the time to to do this again and that it worked out. You're silly. You're gonna come back on one day. You mean you're glad? This was good. I like this a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey, I'm not going anywhere. Excellent. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G V O K E G L U C A G O N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank the Contour Next One blood glucose meter for sponsoring this episode. Thank you so much, Contour Next One. I feel like you are a person and that I know you. 
but I think that's just because of how I talk on the podcast. But that's not the point. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Check them out. And in one second, I'll remind you how to get a hold of Kim. Once again, Kim Groves is a licensed psychologist. She works at the Center for Emotional Health Family Care Center in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And Kim facilitates a free support group for individuals and their family members. This is All Ages. Monthly support group focuses on the emotional adjustment to a new diagnosis, management of the disease, finding a new normal, and general issues related to living with a chronic illness. It's facilitated by Kimberly Groves, and its support group is free of charge and open to the community. If you're interested, please contact 856-220-9672 in New Jersey. You get to that phone number, you'll get more details and even be able to register. I have to thank you very much for listening to the show, for sharing it with others, and for something else. And I feel I'm not uncomfortable, but this is outside of my wheelhouse a little bit. Um, I think maybe I'm from the wrong generation. But I need to thank a number of people who put together a buy me a coffee campaign for, for me, for the podcast. Apparently, apparently, I mean, it, it's a thing where you just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash juice box and you can send me a couple of dollars or have a membership and, you know, it rotates. It's, it's, I can feel how uncomfortable I am saying this. Um, you might be able to feel it as well. A number of people came to me and said that they wanted to do more for the podcast and just listen to it. They wanted to add a little bit of money uh, periodically, and they asked me for a way to do that. And and this was the way that um, we came up with that was reasonable to share with other people. Uh, it is very humbling um, that people would do this. You please do not need to feel any pressure about this. The podcast is ad supported and it will exist for free as long as I as long as I draw breath and I can keep it existing for free. Um, but if this is something you wanted to do, uh, I certainly didn't know. I, I generally appreciate it. I genuinely appreciate it. Not generally appreciate. It. I guess I generally and genuinely appreciate it if you do that. But we threw it up, and um, I was overwhelmed by the number of people who did that. So as crazy as this sounds, because it's coming from me. It's been explained to me that people want to do this and that they need an avenue for it. And even though it kind of makes me uncomfortable, I understand that. And um, I'm very happy that the podcast uh, is such a positive light for people, so much so that it draws them to want to do more. So uh, if you do this, I will take the money and I mean, let me be honest, I guess I'll pay my bills with it. Uh, I'll try to better the podcast with it. I will try to make a make sure that the podcast remains free for as long as possible. But don't get me wrong; I'm not saying to you do this or the podcast won't be free anymore. I, I I do not I do not ever want to put the podcast behind a paywall. I don't think there should be a even a one dollar barrier between you and the and the show. Anyway, uh, I guess the internet's a different place than it used to be, and generations think of stuff like this differently. But I just went on very long to say, if you'd like to send me a couple of bucks, buymeacoffee.com forward slash juice box. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you. It's, uh, it is really humbling to think that anyone would be interested in that is, is a little overwhelming. Um, anyway, I've babbled long enough. I hope you enjoyed Kim. I very much did. I'd like to have her back again. Um, 
That's it. Maybe I'll take some questions for her from you guys and have her back on. I just thought she had a great way about her. I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. The Juice Box Podcast is uh, a passion for me. I'm glad you like it. I'll talk to you soon.